You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, your host here, Colton Molesky, bringing you daily Timberwolves content. Make sure to check out the Locked On Wolves fan rig website. For written content from Adam King as well as prior podcasts, also go on to Twitter, follow me at C Molesky, M-O-L-E-S-K-Y, and you can get podcasts, I post a podcast on there, stories I've written for various sites, all that good stuff, plenty of good content that I'm throwing up on the Twitter account as well as on the Locked on Wolves fan rig website, so go check out both those spots. Thank you for joining me today. We have we have a packed show. We're going to take care of uh, of some news. I have some clips from Locked On Knicks and the Locked On Pistons shows about uh, Coach Day or uh, Coach Fizdale's hiring and Stanley Gundy's firing of the 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 coach of the Pistons. He was fired the other day. So I have sound clips from both of those shows covering both of those news events and they're going to offer some insight they're covering those teams day to day so some good insight from both those guys on uh, both those coaching moves first I want to I wanted to try something you guys can let me know if you like this or not or, or what you think of this but I want to do uh, leading up into the draft now that we're into the, we're almost concluding the second round of the playoffs I want to I wanted to do a segment of every week I would have a prospect. So once a week I'll bring to you a prospect that I like for the Timberwolves. And since they are picking around that, uh, what is it, just around that uh, 20 to 23 range uh, as far as draft picks, there's a, a few options, there's a few t- a few uh, selections that they can make, a, a few players in play. That they can they can snatch up in that range. So every week I wanted to bring to you guys one prospect and why I think that they could get drafted by the Timberwolves. Why I think they would be a good fit for the Timberwolves. And so I was going to do that. I'm thinking I'll probably do that every Wednesday. But obviously, if breaking news stuff happens, it'll take a whole show to cover. I'll probably bump it. But just plan for every Wednesday. I'm going to have from now on until the draft one prospect that I'm really looking at. Now, this doesn't mean after the playoffs conclude that I won't have a couple more episodes like I did when Jeremy Wu came on and we talked NBA prospects and in the NBA draft a little bit, uh, looking into the future. I will still do stuff like that but this is just a time for me to sit down and really dig into to one guy that I like and one guy that I think you guys should be paying attention to every single week so here we go here's the first one uh, the first guy that I have you looking at as far as draft prospects for the Timberwolves Chimizzi Matu the power forward from USC there are a couple reasons I like him uh, first of all the Timberwolves, they need power forwards. They have uh, three forwards on the roster as of right now. You can, I guess you can count Wiggins uh, play forward a lot of the season. Yeah, he's a, he's a little sm- he's more of a, a small ball forward, uh, definitely a small forward. Uh, as far as power forwards, you really only have uh, you could really only have one or two. And I know that guys like uh, Gorgie or guys like uh, Towns who are listed as centers can definitely play. At the four, if you want to go big, or uh, they can move over to the five if you want to play more of a small ball lineup. I'm not going to get into that all, all that different lineup stuff. Uh, just as far as listing forwards, you probably you can go from three to four on the Timberwolves. You definitely need uh, it'd, be, it'd be nice to have uh, or excuse me, four to five 
forwards. Uh, pardon me. Uh, on the team, you you definitely you, you could use one more though. Just with uh, Wiggins, he's kind of more he he can flip more from the shooting guard to forward and bouncing all over the place like that. I, I like it because I think that they could use another another power forward, another bigger guy. Uh, he's six. Uh, Matu is six eleven, two hundred twenty five pounds, or at least that's what he's listed at right now. Obviously, uh, the the official numbers will come out for uh, leading up to the draft, uh, combine numbers and stuff like that. When we get all that, those will be the official numbers for. But as for right now, those are the numbers I'm going with off the ESPN website page on Matu. Uh, as far as stats. 15.7 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game, uh, 1.6 assists per game. He also had 1.7 blocks per game this season. I, I I really like that from the last couple of seasons. So the thing I like a lot about Mitsu is he's adapt he he adapts his game. So in 15-16 he did not attempt a single three pointer, and then. From 16 to 17, his second season, he when he he bumped up to 31 minutes per game after averaging 18 minutes per game in his first season. He averaged 0.1 three-point attempt per game, and the and the the kind of the the thing that he needed to do was even though he played power forward. Obviously, you see that in the NBA, everybody needs to take threes, and you see that over the last couple of years. Uh, it obviously is going to trickle down to to college and to high school uh, just like with most sports the when the pros start doing it it always ends up trickling down to everything else uh in in the sport no matter what level it's at so you knew it had to trickle down and it, the the kind of the the question mark with Matu headed into this season uh one of the question marks at least is could he extend his game out could he extend his range out while still playing very efficient basketball. He's always shot 50% uh, from the field. In his first year, he only averaged five shots a game. But in his second season, he was averaging double-digit shots, still a 55% shooter in his third season, or uh, last year. Excuse me. In his third season, he averaged 52% shooting, and he was taking almost 12 shots a game. So you see that efficiency there. And the the question was, could he add in a more of a three-point game? Obviously, 0.1 shots per game really isn't a three-point game at all. Could he could he feed in a three-point game while uh, while also keeping his efficiency and and staying the efficient basketball player that made him such a, a tantalizing? prospect or one of the reasons he's a tantalizing prospect is that he's a he's a big guy he likes to play inside uh he he's also fat he's, he's got a quick first step he's fast he he's not hampered by his size he can move around really well but can he he play the outside and stretch his shooting well he averaged 1.2 three-point attempts per game i know it's not a, a crazy amount uh is he's definitely not going to floor the warriors or anything like that with the three-point shots attempts he's making but it is considerably more than point one the season before, and he still uh, was shooting thirty percent, and he shot fifty-two percent from the field. So he was ab- able to incorporate more of a three-point shooting game while also staying fairly efficient shooting, and it wasn't hurting his inside game. It wasn't taking away from what he does really well. The other thing is he's a seventy-three percent free throw shooter. It's nice to have somebody who who's a, a bigger guy and likes to play inside and also isn't going to shoot fifty uh, percent from the free throw line. 
Uh, he he's a, a really good defender. I like his anticipation of shots, especially in the post. I, I think you see that a lot, especially in big games when he uh, is up against uh, up against really solid competition. You see him going for blocks, stuff like that. Really playing aggressively, defensively. Uh, really good along the glass. Obviously, with the eight rebounds per game, is uh, is something to something to definitely watch. Just because I, I think he could add a little bit of a defensive edge, maybe to the Timberwolves. I think that the I don't think he's if the Timberwolves draft him, he, he's obviously going to change the defensive culture in his his first few months on the team. But I do think that his defensive ceiling is pretty high, and if he continues to work on his his three-point shooting game and, and become more of that that stretch uh, a little bit more of a stretch forward then I think that you could also see his his defensive ceiling grow as well because while he does have a pretty good offensive ceiling I think his defensive ceiling is actually where he could be really impressive and I think that uh, that's something that he could definitely kind of hang his hat on where he's maybe he's only he only ever averages 18 points per game but he could be a really big defensive asset which is definitely something that Timberwolves need and I think if you have young talent like that you have a guy like Tyus Jones who's a who's a solid defensive guy you saw his turnover to assist ratio was something that was kind of all season long he hung his hat on uh, that he was going to to play make and then help cause turnovers for the Timberwolves defense you bring in a guy like Matu who can have a, a defensive ceiling grow and you have that grow around Jimmy Butler now you have some young pieces with some actually solid defense you have Towns working on his defense his defense got incredible it increased in productivity and leaps and bounds on the defensive side of production so if you have these young guys building their defense around a solid guy like Jimmy Butler who can help them learn and help them uh, help them get better every day defensively, I think that could really help the Timberwolves. And so that's another reason I like Matu is that he has shooting adaptability and he he has a high defensive ceiling uh, potential. Now the the thing that people are going to question when I bring this guy up, there's two things. First of all, uh, against uh, Washington State, it was there was the, the groin punch. Which is is never good. He 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 hit somebody's uh he hit somebody's uh, nether region when he got upset and, and frustrated in a Washington State game. Uh, this was during a stretch as well for the team when uh, not only was it a frustrating game for Matu, but it, it was during a frustrating stretch for uh for the uh, excuse me for the USC Trojans uh and so. Or frustrating stretch of the game, so he kind of vented with a a groin hit, and that's something you don't want to see from your uh, from your one of your star players. And he's definitely one of the star players on the team, especially after Melton went down. He was the the premier player on the Trojans, so that that doesn't look great. The other thing that doesn't look great is when he sat out. I I know when he sat out for the NIT, there was a bunch of people who had problems with it, uh, and there was a bunch of people who who didn't like that he was sitting out for a tournament. uh, a tournament, even though it wasn't the NCAA tournament and it wasn't the 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 actual tournament that people are are really playing for, really hoping to get into. It was still the NIT and it was still a tournament, and he sat out for it to keep uh, keep away from injury. People didn't like that. Uh, first to to the to the the cheap shot, we'll call it. Uh, you know what? It, it it doesn't look great, but 
there are plenty of guys in the NBA who have done such things and have been able to recover from it, and they're still good players, and and they uh, they can adjust their attitude, and and it does it's it's not something I think should mar him in the draft. I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's, it's silliness if you think that that should really uh, mar his draft stock. Uh, it, it's not a huge deal. It is something that I think you maybe want to watch for a little bit of uh, a coach, just so that as far as foul trouble, he doesn't you can he doesn't get antagonized into into more fouls uh, on the court. But as far as him uh, being a serial cheap shotter, I, I don't think it's anything like that or anything to be concerned about. Really, the NIT sitting out for the NIT uh, that one, I understand why people are upset about it. But I totally get. It. I I support his his sitting out for it. Here's the thing, the NIT the NCA tests all kinds of things out. They they're testing all kinds of new rules, all kinds of new things they want to see if it might work implementing into the college game. These are exhibition games. The NCA doesn't even take them seriously because they always mess around with the rules before these tournaments kick off. So him sitting out for it, it doesn't really bother me because if the NCA isn't going to take this seriously, then why should the players? And it, while I think that players will always take the NCA tournament, the actual NCA tournament seriously. The NIT has never really been taken seriously, and so it's not a big deal if players want to sit out to avoid injury. It'd be a real bummer if he rolled his ankle or if he if he tore something or even if he sprained something and it sat him out from the combine and from uh, things like and from uh, from personal workouts is the word I was looking for. Things like that in front of coaches and, and scouts for NBA teams. I, I don't want players to risk that, especially players like Matu who actually are uh, late first round pick grade style talent. So I'm totally fine with him sitting out. It's kind of like when a running back sits out for, like, I don't know, the Everclear we play, we're playing in Hawaii Bowl or whatever they are, the, the Bulls games that not really anybody watches, and, and you're trying to, you think you really have a good shot at going pro and you want to preserve that and, and not take any extra hits. I get that. And so, as long as it's not something that's really a huge premier deal, and even those things, those bowl games are big for those schools, the NIT isn't really isn't really going to help a team because it it's it is an exhibition game these again the NCA is testing new stuff out on these teams playing uh, they're not even playing by all the official rules that normal NCA tournaments are played by so I have no problem with him sitting out I don't think that speaks to his character or to to how he is going to try on the court if the Timberwolves draft him I don't think it says anything like that about him. So I, I I really like this player. I really think he could add something defensively for the Timberwolves in the future. I think he's a good raw, raw talent and product to kind of mold for the Timberwolves defense and, and a good piece for their offense as well. And I think that he also adds some, some nice size. And I think that if you have a few guards, I think that if they obviously Jamal Crawford is off the team, but if they retain Jer- Derek Rose and then you have Tyus Jones, Jeff Teague, you have some – some lineups where you can go smaller and now if you have a guy like Matu, Patton maybe plays more next or at all next year and with Towns, now you have a bunch of guys who can also go big as well so you can throw up a few different lineups to to have defenses handle a few different things. Alright, we're going to get to a quick break and then we are going to get to those extra segments on the coaches. So we have these segments from the Locked On Knicks first, and then second, the Locked On Pistons about Fisdale and Van Gundy, the coaching, hiring, and firing. I hope you enjoy these segments, and thank you for tuning into the show. All right, here we go.
What's up, everybody? This is James Marcita, host of Lockdown Knicks, with the breaking news that the New York Knicks have hired David Fisdale to fill their head coaching vacancy. The Knicks conducted a thorough search that saw them interview 11 candidates with a wide range of experiences coming from a wide variety of backgrounds. It was in stark contrast to the coaching searches conducted by Phil Jackson, who interviewed a small number of people that he had personal relationships with. The new front office of President of Basketball Operations Steve Mills and General Manager Scott Perry sent a strong message via this coaching search that we weren't going to see the same old dysfunctional Knicks at work. Now, full disclosure, David Fisdale was not my first choice. I preferred former Atlanta Hawks coach Mike Budenholzer, but David Fisdale is by all accounts a well-respected voice around the league and someone who clearly signals that the Knicks of 2018 are not the dysfunctional Knicks of yesteryear. He figures to modernize their offense, stress conditioning and fundamentals, and bring a championship mentality with him from his years as a Miami assistant. He's already been reported to be making plans to visit franchise cornerstone Kristaps Porzingis in Latvia, which is a welcome sign after he clashed with his previous superstar, Mark Gasol, in Memphis. It's a good start for a head coach that Knicks fans have every right to be excited for, and it was an excellent hire by the New York Knicks. I'm James Marcita, host of Locked On Knicks. Hey, this is Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons. But after a month, it finally happened. Stan Van Gundy was fired Monday by the Pistons as coach and president of basketball operations with a rather strange press release by the team where Tom Gores, the owner, and Stan Van Gundy, uh, he said Tom Gores the, that Stan wanted to return. Quote, Stan is a competitor and he wanted to finish the job, Gores said. Not quite sure exactly why Gores needs to be pointing that out. I don't know if that's a dig at Stan Van Gundy or if that's trying to uh, make him look better. It was a strange way of putting that. After four years, with one year remaining on his contract, uh, Stan will not be coming back. Van Gundy's four years featured a rapid ascent to the playoffs in year two after taking over a franchise stuck in the mud, but the last two were obviously disappointing seasons, hindered by reckless free agent misses and draft night head scratchers, most notably taking Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell last summer. Uh, as Mitchell began to looks like a star starring career that he's going to have with the Utah Jazz, and that one spelled the end of the Stan Van Gundy era. We may never know what happened in the days of California meetings between Gores and Van Gundy that dragged out recently, and why did they drag out so long is the biggest question probably on Pistons fans right now uh, on the minds. But Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that last week that Gores wanted Stan Van Gundy to stay on as coach but retool the front office structure, but. They weren't able to reach that agreement, nor were they able to get into any extension that Stan Van Gundy was likely pining for with only one year left in his deal. So Dan will collect $7 million and probably have his pick of television jobs as he's an engaging and compelling personality in front of the microphones. All told, it'll probably be better for him uh, as a, than a lame duck year under a new boss that didn't, didn't hire him. So the Pistons joined the coach in executive searches nearly a month after their season ended. Again, why did that take so long? 
Names like Steve Clifford, Mike Budenholzer, or former Piston Jerry Stackhouse figure to be tossed around in terms of coaching candidates, although this job certainly ranks below division rival Milwaukee in the pecking order of openings. And you can draw your own conclusions as fans and, and coaches out there about where the Pistons fall in terms of some of these other ones, like the Charlottes or maybe the rebuilding teams such as Atlanta that still have openings as well. Uh, Woj of ESPN also reported that uh, former Arn Tellen client, client Brent Berry could be involved in the new front office as well. Former Pistons star Chauncey Billups was also attached to the team uh, team's front office in a report from Mark Stein of the New York Times earlier this year in January as potentially part of the revamped front office for the Pistons and his former team. The team will move forward with a potentially awkward and injury-prone core of Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, and Andre Drummond with little salary cap flexibility and almost assuredly no first-round pick next month. But if there's one thing we can guess about Gores, a Malibu resident who has gravitated more to his glitzy life in California than his Michigan background, it's that he's probably going to want to make a splash. Based on the, his bidding of Van Gundy away from the Warriors four years ago and his at least approval of the Griffin trade this year. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast. 